Chapter twenty three of Rural Rides. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Rural Rides by William Cobbett. Chapter twenty three. Ride from Highworth to Quicklade and thence to Malmfrey. Highworth, Wiltshire, Monday, fourth September, eighteen twenty six. When I got to Devizes on Saturday evening, and came to look out of the inn-window into the street, I perceived that I had seen that place before, and always having thought that I should like to see Devizes, of which I had heard so much talk as a famous corn-market, I was very much surprised to find that it was not new to me. Presently a stage-coach came up to the door with Bath and London upon its panels, and then I recollected that I had been at this place, on my way to Bristol last year. Devizes is, as nearly as possible, in the centre of the county and the canal that passes close by it is the great channel through which the produce of the country is carried away to be devoured by the idlers the thieves and the prostitutes who are all tax-eaters in the wens of bath and london potterne which i passed through in my way from warminster to devizes was once a place much larger than devizes and it is now a mere ragged village with a church large very ancient and of most costly structure the whole of the people here might as in most other cases be placed in the belfry or the church porches all the way along the mansion-houses are nearly all gone there is now and then a great place belonging to a boroughmonger or some one connected with boroughmongers but all the little gentlemen are gone and hence it is that parsons are now made justices of the peace there are few other persons left who are at all capable of filling the office in a way to suit the system the monopolizing brewers and rag-rooks are in some places the magistrates and thus is the whole thing changed and england is no more what it was very near to the sides of my road from Warminster to Devizes, there were formerly, within a hundred years, twenty-two mansion-houses of sufficient note to be marked as such in the county map then made. There are now only seven of them remaining. There were five parish churches nearly close to my road, and in one parish out of the five the parsonage-house is, in the parliamentary return, said to be too small for the parson to live in, though the church would contain two or three thousand people, and though the living is a rectory and a rich one too thus has the church property or rather that public property which is called church property been dilapidated the parsons have swallowed the tithes and the rent of the glebes and have successively suffered the parsonage houses to fall into decay but these parsonage houses were indeed not intended for large families they were intended for a priest a main part of whose business it was to distribute the tithes amongst the poor and the strangers the parson in this case at causley says too small for an incumbent with a family ah there is the mischief it was never intended to give men tithes as a premium for breeding malthus does not seem to see any harm in this sort of increase of population it is the working population those who raise the food and the clothing that he and scarlet want to put a stop to the breeding of i saw on my way through the down countries hundreds of acres of ploughed land in shelves what i mean is the side of a steep hill made into the shape of a stairs only the rising parts more sloping than those of a stairs and deeper in proportion the side of the hill in its original form was too steep to be ploughed or even to be worked with a spade the earth as soon as moved would have rolled down the hill and besides the rains would have soon washed down all the surface earth and have left nothing for plants of any sort to grow in therefore the sides of hills where the land was sufficiently good and where it was wanted for the growing of corn were thus made into a sort of steps or shelves and the horizontal parts representing the parts of the stairs that we put our feet upon were ploughed and sowed as they generally are indeed to this day now no man not even the hireling charmers will have the impudence to say that these shelves 
amounting to thousands and thousands of acres in wiltshire alone were not made by the hand of man it would be as impudent to contend that the churches were formed by the flood as to contend that these shells were formed by that cause yet thus the scotch scribes must contend or they must give up all their assertions about the ancient beggary and want of population in england for as in the case of the churches what were these shells made for and could they be made at all without a great abundance of hands these shells are everywhere to be seen throughout the down countries of sussex hampshire wiltshire dorsetshire devonshire and cornwall and besides this large tracts of land amounting to millions of acres perhaps which are now downs heaths or woodlands still if you examine closely bear the marks of the plough the fact is i dare say that the country has never varied much in the gross amount of its population but formerly the people were pretty evenly spread over the country instead of being as the greater part of them now are collected together in great masses where for the greater part the idlers live on the labour of the industrious in quitting devizes yesterday morning i saw just on the outside of the town a monstrous building which i took for a barrack but upon asking what it was i found it was one of those other marks of the jubilee reign namely a most magnificent jail it seemed to me sufficient to hold one half of the able-bodied men in the county and it would do it too and do it well such a system must come to an end and the end must be dreadful as i came on the road for the first three or four miles i saw great numbers of labourers either digging potatoes for their sunday's dinner or coming home with them or going out to dig them the landowners or occupiers let small pieces of land to the labourers and these they cultivate with a spade for their own use they pay in all cases a high rent and in most cases an enormous one the practice prevails all the way from warminster to devizes and from devizes to nearly this place highworth the rent is in some places a shilling a rod which is mind a hundred and sixty shillings or eight pounds an acre still the poor creatures like to have the land they work in it at their spare hours and on sunday mornings early and the overseers sharp as they may be cannot ascertain precisely how much they get out of their plat of ground but good god what a life to live what a life to see people live to see this sight in our own country and to have the base vanity to boast of that country and to talk of our constitution and our liberties and to affect to pity the spaniards whose working people live like gentlemen compared with our miserable creatures again i say give me the inquisition and well-heeled cheeks and ribs rather than civil and religious liberty and skin and bone but the fact is that where honest and laborious men can be compelled to starve quietly whether all at once or by inches with old wheat ricks and fat cattle under their eye it is a mockery to talk of their liberty of any sort for the sum total of the estate is this they have liberty to choose between death by starvation quick or slow and death by the halter between warminster and westbury i saw thirty or more men digging a great field of i dare say twelve acres i thought surely that humane half-mad fellow owen is not got at work here that owen who the philosophers tell us went to the continent to find out how to prevent the increase of the labourers children no it was not owen it was the overseer of the parish who had set these men to dig up this field previously to its being sown with wheat in short it was a digging instead of a ploughing the men i found upon inquiry got nine pence a day for their work plain digging in the market gardens near london is i believe threepence or fourpence a rod if these poor men who were chiefly weavers or spinners from westbury or had come home to their parish from bradford or trowbridge if they dig six rods each in a day and fairly did it they must work well this would be one and a half pence a rod or twenty shillings an acre and that is as cheap as ploughing and four times as good but how much better to give the men higher wages and let them do more work if married 
how are their miserable families to live on four shillings sixpence a week and if single they must and will have more either by poaching or by taking without leave at any rate this is better than the road-work i mean better for those who pay the rates for here is something which they get for the money that they give to the poor whereas in the case of the road-work the money given in relief is generally wholly so much lost to the ratepayer. what a curious spectacle this is the manufactories throwing the people back again upon the land it is not above eighteen months ago that the scotch philosophers and especially dr black were calling upon the farm labourers to become manufacturers i remonstrated with the doctor at the time but he still insisted that such a transfer of hands was the only remedy for the distress in the farming districts however and i thank god for it the philosophers have enough to do at home now for the poor are crying for food in dear cleanly warm fruitful scotland herself in spite of all the hamiltons and all the wallaces and all the maxwells and all the hope johnstons and all the dundases and all the edinburgh reviewers and all the brooms and birkbecks in spite of all these the poor of scotland are now helping themselves or about to do it for want of the means of purchasing food from devisers i came to the vile rotten borough of Carn, leaving the park and house of lord lansdowne to my left this man's name is petty and doubtless his ancestors came in with the conqueror for petty is unquestionably a corruption of the french word petit and in this case there appears to have been not the least degeneracy a thing rather rare in these days there is a man whose name was grimstone that is to a certainty grindstone who is now called lord verulam and who according to his pedigree in the peerage is descended from a standard-bearer of the conqueror now the devil of it is there the word grindstone or grimstone in the norman language well let them have all that their french descent can give them since they will insist upon it that they are not of this country so help me god i would if i could give them normandy to live in and if the people would let them to possess this petty family began or at least made its first grand push in poor unfortunate ireland the history of that push would amuse the people of wiltshire a talking of normans and high blood puts me in mind of beckford and his abbey the public knows that the tower of this thing fell down some time ago it was built of scotch fir and cased with stone in it there was a place which the owner had named the gallery of edward the third the frieze of which says the account contains the achievements of seventy-eight knights of the garter from whom the owner is linearly descended was there ever vanity and impudence equal to these the negro driver brag of his high blood i dare say that the old powder man farker had his good pretension and i really should like to know whether he took out beckford's name and put in his own as the lineal descendant of the seventy-eight knights of the garter i could not come through that villainous hole khan without cursing corruption at every step and when i was coming by an ill-looking broken-winded place called the town hall i suppose i poured out a double dose of execration upon it out of the frying-pan into the fire for in about ten miles more i came to another rotten hole called Watton basset this also is a mean vile place though the country all round it is very fine on this side of Watton basset i went out of my way to see the church at great lydiard which in the parliamentary return is called lydiard tregoose in my old map it is called Tregos, and to a certainty the word was Tregros, that is to say Tregros, or very big. Here is a good old mansion-house, and large walled-in garden, and a park belonging, they told me, to Lord Bolingbroke. I went quite down to the house, close to which stands the large and fine church. It appears to have been a noble place. The land is some of the finest in the whole country. The trees show that the land is excellent, but all except the church is in a state of irrepair, and apparent neglect if not abandonment the parish is large the living is a rich one it is a rectory but though the incumbent has the great and small tithes he in his return tells the parliament 
that the parsonage house is worn out and incapable of repair and observe that parliament lets him continue to sack the produce of the tithes and the glebe while they know the parsonage house to be crumbling down and while he has the impudence to tell them that he does not reside in it though the law says that he shall and while this is suffered to be a poor man may be transported for being in pursuit of a hare what coals how hot how red is this flagitious system preparing for the backs of its supporters in coming from watton bassett to highworth i left swindon a few miles away to my left and came by the village of blunston all along here i saw great quantities of hops in the hedges and very fine hops and i saw at a village called stratton i think it was the finest campanula that i ever saw in my life the main stalk was more than four feet high and there were four stalks none of which were less than three feet high all through the country poor as well as rich are very neat in their gardens and very careful to raise a great variety of flowers at blunston i saw a clump or rather a sort of orchard of as fine walnut trees as i ever beheld and loaded with walnuts indeed i have seen great crops of walnuts all the way from london from blunston to this place is but a short distance and i got here about two or three o'clock this is a cheese country some corn but generally speaking it is a country of dairies the sheep here are of the large kind a sort of leicester sheep and the cattle chiefly for milking the ground is a stiff loam at top and a yellowish stone under the houses are almost all built of stone it is a tolerably rich but by no means a gay and pretty country highworth has a situation corresponding with its name on every side you go uphill to it and from it you see to a great distance all round and into many counties highworth wednesday six september the great object of my visit to the northern border of wiltshire will be mentioned when i get to malmesbury whither i intend to go to-morrow or next day and thence through gloucestershire in my way to herefordshire but an additional inducement was to have a good long political gossip with some excellent friends who detest the borough ruffians as cordially as i do and who i hope wish as anxiously to see their fall effected and no matter by what means there was however arising incidentally a third object which had i known of its existence would of itself have brought me from the south-west to the north-east corner of this county one of the parishes adjoining to highworth is that of coles hill which is in berkshire and which is the property of lord radnor or lord folkestone and is the seat of the latter i was at coles hill twenty-two or three years ago and twice at later periods in eighteen twenty four lord folkestone bought some locust trees of me and he has several times told me that they were growing very finely but i did not know that they had been planted at coles hill and indeed i always thought that they had been planted somewhere in the south of wiltshire i now found however that they were growing at coles hill and yesterday i went to see them and was for many reasons more delighted with the sight than with any that i have beheld for a long while these trees stand in clumps of two hundred trees in each and the trees being four feet apart each way these clumps make part of a plantation of thirty or forty acres perhaps fifty acres the rest of the ground that is to say the ground where the clumps of locusts do not stand was at the same time that the locust clumps were planted with chestnuts elms ashes oaks beeches and other trees these trees were stouter and taller than the locust trees were when the plantation was made yet if you were now to place yourself at a mile's distance from the plantation you would not think that there was any plantation at all except the clumps the fact is that the other trees have as they generally do made as yet but very little progress are not i should think upon an average more than four and a half feet or five feet high while the clumps of locusts are from twelve to twenty feet high and i think that i may safely say that the average height is sixteen feet they are the most beautiful clumps of trees that i ever saw in my life they were indeed planted by a clever and most trusty servant who to say all that can be said in his praise is 
that he is worthy of such a master as he has. The trees are indeed in good land, and have been taken good care of, but the other trees are in the same land, and while they have been taken the same care of since they were planted, they had not, I am sure, worse treatment before planting than these locust trees had. At the time when I sold them to my Lord Folkestone, they were in a field at Worth near Crawley in Sussex. The history of their transport is this. A Wiltshire wagon came to Worth for the trees on the 14th of March, 1824. The wagon had been stopped on the way by the snow, and though the snow was gone off before the trees were put upon the wagon, it was very cold, and there were sharp frosts and harsh winds. I had the trees taken up and tied up in hundreds by withes, like so many faggots. They were then put in and upon the wagon, we doing our best to keep the roots inwards in the loading, so as to prevent them from being exposed but as little as possible to the wind, sun, and frost. We put some fern on the top, and where we could, on the sides, and we tied on the load with ropes, just as we should have done with a load of faggots. In this way they were several days upon the road, and I do not know how long it was before they got safe into the ground again. All this shows how hardy these trees are, and it ought to admonish gentlemen to make pretty strict inquiries when they have gardeners or bailiffs or stewards, under whose hands locust trees die, or do not thrive. N.B. Dry as the late summer was, I never had my locust trees so fine as they are this year. I have some, they write me, five feet high, from seed sown just before I went to Preston the first time, that is to say, on the 13th of May. I shall advertise my trees in the next register. I never had them so fine, though the great drought has made the number comparatively small. Lord Folkestone bought of me 13,600 trees. They are at this moment worth the money they cost him, and, in addition, the cost of planting, and, in addition to that, they are worth the fee simple of the ground, very good ground, on which they stand. And this I am able to demonstrate to any man in his senses. What a difference in the valley of Wiltshire, if all its elms were locusts! As fuel, a foot of locust wood is worth four or five of any English wood. It will burn better green than almost any other wood will dry. If men want woods, beautiful woods, and in a hurry, let them go and see the clumps at Coleshill. Think of a wood sixteen feet high, and I may say twenty feet high, in twenty-nine months from the day of planting, and the plants on an average not more than two feet high when planted. Think of that, and any one may see it at Coleshill. See what efforts gentlemen make to get a wood. How they look at the poor, slow-growing things for years, when they might, if they would, have it at once, really almost at a wish, and with due attention, in almost any soil and the most valuable of woods into the bargain. Mr. Palmer the bailiff showed me, near the house at Coles Hill, a locust-tree which was planted about thirty-five years ago, or perhaps forty. He had measured it before. It is eight foot and an inch round at a foot from the ground. It goes off afterwards into two principal limbs, which two soon become six limbs, and each of these limbs is three feet round, so that here are six everlasting gate-posts to begin with. This tree is worth twenty pounds at the least farthing. I saw also at Coleshill the most complete farmyard that I ever saw, and that I believe there is in all England, many and complete as English farmyards are. This was the contrivance of Mr. Palmer, Lord Folkestone's bailiff and steward. The master gives all the credit of plantation and farm to the servant, but the servant ascribes a good deal of it to the master. Between them, at any rate, here are some most admirable objects in rural affairs, and here, too, there is no misery amongst those who do the work, those without whom there could have been no locust plantations and no farmyard. Here all are comfortable. Gaunt hunger here stares no man in the face. That same disposition which sent Lord Folkestone to visit John Knight in the dungeons at Reading keeps pinching hunger away from Coleshill. It is a very pretty spot all taken together. It is chiefly grazing land, and though the making of cheese and bacon is, I dare say, the most profitable part of the farming here, Lord Folkestone fats oxen, and has a stall for it, which ought to be shown to foreigners instead of the spinning jennies. 
A fat ox is a finer thing than a cheese, however good. There is a dairy here, too, and beautifully kept. When this stall is full of oxen, and they all fat, how it would make a French farmer stare! It would make even a Yankee think that old England was a respectable mother after all. If I had to show this village off to a Yankee, I would blindfold him all the way to, and after I got him out of the village, lest he should see the scarecrows of paupers on the road. For a week or ten days before I came to Highworth, I had, owing to the uncertainty as to where I should be, had no newspaper sent me from London, so that really I began to feel that I was in the dark ages. Arrived here, however, the light came bursting in upon me, flash after flash from the wind, from Dublin, and from modern Athens. I had, too, for several days, had nobody to enjoy the light with. I had no sharers in the intellectual treat, and this sort of enjoyment, unlike that of some other sorts, is augmented by being divided. Oh, how happy we were, and how proud we were to find, from the instructor, that we had a king, that we were the subjects of a sovereign, who had graciously sent twenty-five pounds to Sir Richard Burney's poor-box, there to swell the amount of the munificence of fine delinquents. Aye, and this too while, as the instructor told us, this same sovereign had just bestowed, unasked for, oh, the dear good man, an annuity of five hundred pounds a year on Mrs. Fox, who, observe, and whose daughters, had already a banging pension, paid out of the taxes raised in part, and in the greatest part, upon a people who are half-starved and half-naked. And our admiration at the poor-box affair was not at all lessened, by the reflection that more money than sufficient to pay all the poor rates of Wiltshire and Berkshire will, this very year, have been expended on new palaces, on pullings down and alterations of palaces before existing, and on ornaments and decorations in and about Hyde Park, where Bridges Building, which, I am told, must cost a hundred thousand pounds, though all the water that has to pass under it would go through a sugar hogshead, and does a little while before it comes to this bridge go through an arch which I believe to be smaller than a sugar hogshead. Besides, there was a bridge here before, and a very good one, too. Now will Jerry Curtis, who complains so bitterly about the poor rates, and who talks of the poor working people as if their poverty were the worst of crimes, will Jerry say anything about this bridge, or about the enormous expenses at Hyde Park Corner and in St. James's Park? Jerry knows, or he ought to know, that this bridge alone will cost more money than half the poor rates of the county of Sussex. Jerry knows, or he ought to know, that this bridge must be paid for out of the taxes. He must know, or else he must be what I dare not suppose him, that it is the taxes that make the paupers, and yet I am afraid that Jerry will not open his lips on the subject of this bridge. What they are going at at Hyde Park Corner nobody that I talk with seems to know. The great captain of the age, as that nasty palaverer Brougham called him, lives close to this spot, where also the English lady's naked Achilles stands, having on the base of it the word Wellington in great staring letters, while all the other letters are very, very small, so that base tax-eaters and fund-gamblers from the country, when they go to crouch before this image, think it is the image of the great captain himself. The reader will recollect that after the Battle of Waterloo, when we beat Napoleon, with nearly a million of foreign bayonets in our pay, pay that came out of that borrowed money for which we have now to wince and howl, the reader will recollect that, at that glorious time, when the insolent wretches of tax-eaters were ready to trample us under foot, that, at that time when the Yankees were defeated on the Serpentine River, and before they had thrashed Blue and Buff so unmercifully on the ocean and on the lakes, that at that time when the creatures called English ladies were flocking from all parts of the country to present rings to old Blucher, that at that time of exaltation with the corrupt, and of mourning with the virtuous, the collective in the heyday, in the delirium of its joy, resolved to expend three millions of money on triumphal arches, or columns, or monuments of some sort or other, to commemorate the glories of the war. Soon after this, however, low prices came, 
and they drove triumphal archers out of the heads of the ministers until prosperity unparalleled prosperity came this set them to work upon palaces and streets and i am told that the triumphal arch project is now going on at hyde park corner good god if this should be true how apt will everything be just about the time that the arch or archers will be completed just about the time that the scaffolding will be knocked away down will come the whole of the horrid borough-mongering system for the upholding of which the vile tax-eating crew called for the war all these palaces and other expensive projects were hatched two years ago they were hatched in the days of prosperity the plans and contracts were made i dare say two or three years ago however they will be completed much about in the nick of time they will help to exhibit the system in its true light the best possible public instructor tells us that canning is going to paris for what i wonder his brother Huskisson was there last year, and he did nothing. It is supposed that the revered and ruptured Ogden orator is going to try the force of his oratory, in order to induce France and her allies to let Portugal alone. He would do better to arm some ships of war. Oh, no, never will that be done again. Or at least there never will again be war for three months as long as this borough and paper system shall last. This system has run itself out. It has lasted a good while, and has done tremendous mischief to the people of England. But it is over. It is done for. It will live for a while, but it will go about drooping its wings and half-shutting its eyes, like a cock that has got the pip. It will never crow again, and for that I most humbly and fervently thank God. It has crowed over us long enough. It has pecked us and spurred us and slapped us about quite long enough. The nasty, insolent creatures that it has sheltered under its wings have triumphed long enough. They are now going to the workhouse, and thither let them go. I know nothing of the politics of the Bourbons. But though I can easily conceive that they would not like to see an end of the paper system, and a consequent reform in England, though I can see very good reasons for believing this, I do not believe that Canning will induce them to sacrifice their own obvious and immediate interests for the sake of preserving our funding system. He will not get them out of Cadiz, and he will not induce them to desist from interfering in the affairs of Portugal, if they find it their interest to interfere. They know that we cannot go to war. They know this as well as we do, and every sane person in England seems to know it well. No war for us without reform. We are come to this at last. No war with this debt, and this debt defies every power but that of reform. Foreign nations were, as to our real state, a good deal enlightened by late panic. They had hardly any notion of our state before that. That opened their eyes, and led them to conclusions that they never before dreamed of. It made them see that that which they had always taken for a mountain of solid gold was only a great heap of rubbishy rotten paper, and they now, of course, estimate us accordingly but it signifies not what they think or what they do unless they will subscribe and pay off this debt for the people at whitehall the foreign governments not excepting the american all hate the english reformers those of europe because our example would be so dangerous to despots and that of america because we should not suffer it to build fleets and to add to its territories at pleasure so that we have not only our own boroughmongers and tax-eaters against us but also all foreign governments not a straw however do we care for them all so long as we have for us the ever-living ever-watchful ever-efficient and all-subduing debt let our foes subscribe i say and pay off that debt for until they do that we snap our fingers at them highworth friday eight september the best public instructor of yesterday arrived to-day informs us that a number of official gentlemen connected with finance have waited upon lord liverpool connected with finance and a number of them too bless their numerous and united noddles good god what a state of things it is altogether! There never was the like of it seen in this world before. Certainly never, and the end must be what the far greater part of the people anticipate. 
it was this very lord liverpool that ascribed the sufferings of the country to a surplus of food and that too at the very time when he was advising the king to put forth a begging proclamation to raise money to prevent or rather put a stop to starvation in ireland and when at the same time public money was granted for the causing of english people to emigrate to africa ah good god who is to record or recount the endless blessings of a jubilee government the instructor gives us a sad account of the state of the working classes in scotland i am not glad that these poor people suffer i am very sorry for it and if i could relieve them out of my own means without doing good to and removing danger from the insolent borough-mongers and tax-eaters of scotland i would share my last shilling with the poor fellows but i must be glad that something has happened to silence the impudent scotch quacks who have been for six years past crying up the doctrine of malthus and railing against the english poor laws let us now see what they will do with their poor let us see whether they will have the impudence to call upon us to maintain their poor well amidst all this suffering there is one good thing the scotch political economy is blown to the devil and the edinburgh review and adam smith along with it malmesbury wiltshire monday eleventh september i was detained at highworth partly by the rain and partly by company that i liked very much i left it at six o'clock yesterday morning and got to this town about three or four o'clock in the afternoon after a ride including my deviations of thirty-four miles and as pleasant a ride as man ever had i got to a farmhouse in the neighbourhood of cricklade to breakfast at which house i was very near to the source of the river isis which is they say the first branch of the thames they call it the old thames and i rode through it here it not being above four or five yards wide and not deeper than the knees of my horse the land here and all round cricklade is very fine here are some of the very finest pastures in all england and some of the finest dairies of cows from forty to sixty in a dairy grazing in them was not this always so was it created by the union with scotland or was it begotten by pitt and his crew ay it was always so and there were formerly two churches here where there is now only one and five six or ten times as many people i saw in one single farmyard here more food than enough for four times the inhabitants of the parish and this yard did not contain a tenth perhaps of the produce of the parish but while the poor creatures that raise the wheat and the barley and cheese and the mutton and the beef are living upon potatoes an accursed canal comes kindly through the parish to convey away the wheat and all the good food to the tax-eaters and their attendants in the wen what then is this an improvement is a nation richer for the carrying away of the food from those who raise it and giving it to bayonet men and others who are assembled in great masses i could broomstick the fellow who would look me in the face and call this an improvement what was it not better for the consumers of the food to live near to the places where it was grown we are very nearly come to the system of hindustan where the farmer is allowed by the mill or tax contractor only so much of the produce of his farm to eat in the year the thing is not done in so undisguised a manner here here are assessor collector exciseman supervisor informer constable justice sheriff jailer judge jury jack ketch barrackman here's a great deal of ceremony about it all is done according to law it is the freest country in the world but somehow or other the produce is at last carried away and it is eaten for the main part by those who do not work i observed some pages back that when i got to malmesbury i should have to explain my main object in coming to the north of wiltshire in the year eighteen eighteen the parliament by an act ordered the bishops to cause the beneficed clergy to give in an account of their livings which account was to contain the following particulars relating to each parish one whether a rectory vicarage or what two in what rural deanery three population four number of churches and chapels five number of persons they the churches and chapels can contain in looking into this account as it was finally made up and printed by the parliamentary officers 
I saw that it was impossible for it to be true. I have always asserted, and indeed I have clearly proved, that one of the two last population returns is false, barefacedly false, and I was sure that the account of which I am now speaking was equally false. The falsehood consisted, I saw principally, in the account of the capacity of the church to contain people, that is, under the head number five, as above stated. I saw that in almost every instance this account must of necessity be false, though coming from under the pen of a beneficed clergyman. I saw that there was a constant desire to make it appear that the church was now become too small, and thus to help along the opinion of a great recent increase of population, an opinion so sedulously inculcated by all the tax-eaters of every sort, and by the most brutal and best public instructor. In some cases the falsehood of this account was impudent almost beyond conception, and yet it required going to the spot to get unquestionable proof of the falsehood. In many of the parishes, in hundreds of them, the population is next to nothing, far fewer persons than the church porch would contain. Even in these cases the parsons have seldom said that the church would contain more than the population. In such cases they have generally said that the church can contain the population, so it can, but it can contain ten times the number. And thus it was that, in words of truth, a lie in meaning was told to the Parliament, and not one word of notice was ever taken of it. Little Langford, or Langford, for instance, between Salisbury and Warminster, is returned as having a population under twenty, and a church that can contain the population. This church, which I went and looked at, can contain, very conveniently, two hundred people. But there was one instance in which the parson had been singularly impudent, for he had stated the population at eight persons, and had stated that the church could contain eight persons. This was the account of the parish of Sharncut, in this county of Wiltshire. It lies on the very northernmost edge of the county, and its boundary on one side divides Wiltshire from Gloucestershire. To this Sharncut, therefore, I was resolved to go, and to try the fact with my own eyes. When therefore I got through Cricklade, I was compelled to quit the Malmesbury Road, and go away to my right. I had to go through a village called Ashton Keynes, with which place I was very much stricken. It is now a straggling village, but to a certainty it has been a large market-town. There is a market-cross still standing in an open place in it, and there are such numerous lanes crossing each other, and cutting the land up into such little bits, that it must at one time have been a large town. It is a very curious place, and I should have stopped in it for some time, but I was now within a few miles of the famous Sharncut, the church of which, according to the parson's account, could contain eight persons. At the end of about three miles more of road, rather difficult to find, but very pleasant, I got to Sharncut, which I found to consist of a church, two farmhouses, and a parsonage-house, one part of the buildings of which had become a labourer's house. The church has no tower, but a sort of crowning-piece, very ancient, on the transept. The church is sixty feet long, and on an average, twenty-eight feet wide, so that the area of it contains one thousand six hundred and eighty square feet, or one hundred and eighty-six square yards. I found in the church eleven pews that would contain, that were made to contain, eighty-two people, and these do not occupy a third part of the area of the church, and thus more than two hundred persons at the least, might be accommodated with perfect convenience in this church, which the parson says can contain eight. Nay, the church porch on its two benches would hold twenty people, taking little and big promiscuously. I have been thus particular in this instance, because I would leave no doubt as to the barefacedness of the lie. A strict inquiry would show that the far greater part of the account is a most impudent lie, or rather string of lies, for as to the subterfuge that this account was true, because the church can contain eight, it is an addition to the crime of lying. What the Parliament meant was what is the greatest number of persons that the church can contain at worship, and therefore to put the figure of eight against the church of Sharncut was to tell the Parliament a wilful lie. This parish is a rectory, it has great and small tithes, 
it has a glebe and a good solid house though the parson says it is unfit for him to live in in short he is not here a curate that serves perhaps three or four other churches comes here at five o'clock in the afternoon the motive for making out the returns in this way is clear enough the parsons see that they are getting what they get in a declining and mouldering country the size of the church tells them everything tells them that the country is a mean and miserable thing compared with what it was in former times they feel the facts but they wish to disguise them because they know that they have been one great cause of the country being in its present impoverished and dilapidated state they know that the people look at them with an accusing eye and they wish to put as fair a face as they can upon the state of things if you talk to them they will never acknowledge that there is any misery in the country because they well know how large a share they have had in the cause of it they were always haughty and insolent but the anti-jacobin times made them ten thousand times more so than ever the cry of atheism as of the french gave these fellows of ours a fine time of it they became identified with loyalty and what was more with property and at one time to say or hint a word against a parson do what he would was to be an enemy of god and of all property those were the glorious times for them they urged on the war they were the loudest of all the trumpeters they saw their tithes in danger if they did not get the bourbons restored there was no chance of re-establishing tithes in france and then the example might be fatal but they forgot that to restore the bourbons a debt must be contracted and that when the nation could not pay the interest of that debt it would as it now does begin to look hard at the tithes in short they overreach themselves and those of them who have common sense now see it each hopes that the thing will last out his time but they have unless they be half idiots a constant dread upon their minds this makes them a great deal less brazen than they used to be and i dare say that if the parliamentary return had to be made out again the parson of Shantcut would not state that the church can contain eight persons from Shantcut i came through a very long and straggling village called summerford another called oxy and another called crudwell between summerford and oxy i saw on the side of the road more goldfinches than i had ever seen together i think fifty times as many as i had ever seen at one time in my life the favourite food of the goldfinch is the seed of the thistle the seed is just now dead ripe the thistles are all cut and carried away from the fields by the harvest but they grow alongside the roads and in this place in great quantities so that the goldfinches were got here in flocks and as they continued to fly along before me for nearly half a mile and still sticking to the road and the banks i do believe i had at last a flock of ten thousand flying before me birds of every kind including partridges and pheasants and all sorts of poultry are most abundant this year the fine long summer has been singularly favourable to them and you see the effect of it in the great broods of chickens and ducks and geese and turkeys in and about every farmyard the churches of the last-mentioned villages are all large particularly the latter which is capable of containing very conveniently three or four thousand people it is a very large church it has a triple roof and is nearly a hundred feet long and master parson says in his return that it can contain two hundred people at oxy the people were in church as i came by i heard the singer singing and as the churchyard was close by the roadside i got off my horse and went in giving my horse to a boy to hold the fellow says that his church can contain two hundred people i counted pews for about four hundred and fifty the singing gallery would hold forty or fifty two-thirds of the area of the church have no pews in them on benches these two-thirds would hold two thousand persons taking one with another but this is nothing rare the same sort of statement has been made the same kind of falsehoods relative to the whole of the parishes throughout the country with here and there an exception everywhere you see the indubitable marks of decay in mansions in parsonage houses and in people nothing can so strongly depict the great decay of the villages as the state of the parsonage houses 
which are so many parcels of public property, and to prevent the dilapidation of which there are laws so strict. Since I left Devizes I have passed close by, or very near to, thirty-two parish churches, and in fifteen out of these thirty-two parishes the parsonage-houses are stated in the parliamentary return, either as being unfit for a parson to live in, or as being wholly tumbled down and gone. What, then, are there Scotch vagabonds, are there charmuses and colcoons to swear, mon, that Pitt and Jubilee George begat all us Englishmen, and that there were only a few stragglers of us in the world before, and that our dark and ignorant fathers who built Winchester and Salisbury cathedrals had neither hands nor money? When I got in here yesterday I went at first to an inn, but I very soon changed my quarters for the house of a friend, who, and whose family, though I had never seen them before, and had never heard of them until I was at Highworth, gave me a hearty reception, and precisely in the style that I like. This town, though it has nothing particularly engaging in itself, stands upon one of the prettiest spots that can be imagined. Besides the River Avon, which I went down in the south-east part of the country, here is another River Avon which runs down to Bath, and two branches or sources of which meet here. There is a pretty ridge of ground, the base of which is a mile, or a mile and a half wide. On each side of this ridge a branch of the river runs down through a flat of very fine meadows. The town and the beautiful remains of the famous old abbey stand on the rounded spot which terminates this ridge, and just below, nearly close to the town, the two branches of the river meet, and then they begin to be called the Avon. The land round about is excellent, and of a great variety of forms. The trees are lofty and fine, so that what with the water, the meadows, the fine cattle and sheep, and, as I hear, the absence of hard-pinching poverty, this is a very pleasant place. There remains more of the abbey than, I believe, of any of our monastic buildings, except that of Westminster, and those that have become cathedrals. The church service is performed in the part of the abbey that is left standing. The parish church has fallen down and is gone, but the tower remains, which is made use of for the bells. But the abbey is used as a church, though the church tower is at a considerable distance from it. It was once a most magnificent building, and there is now a doorway, which is the most beautiful thing I ever saw and which was nevertheless built in Saxon times, in the Dark Ages, and was built by men who were not begotten by Pitt nor by Jubilee George. What fools, as well as ungrateful creatures, we have been, and are! There is a broken arch standing off from the sound part of the building, at which one cannot look up without feeling shame, at the thought of ever having abused the men who made it. No one need tell any man of sense. He feels our inferiority to our fathers, upon merely beholding the remains of their efforts to ornament their country, and elevate the minds of the people. We talk of our skill and learning indeed. How do we know how skilful, how learned they were? If in all that they have left us we see that they surpassed us, why are we to conclude that they did not surpass us in all other things worthy of admiration? This famous abbey was founded in about the year 600 by Madolf, a Scotch monk, who upon the suppression of a nunnery here at that time selected the spot for this great establishment. For the great magnificence, however, to which it was soon after brought, it was indebted to Aldhelm, a monk educated within its first walls by the founder himself, and to St. Aldhelm, who by his great virtues became very famous, the church was dedicated in the time of King Edgar. This monastery continued flourishing during those dark ages, until it was sacked by the great Enlightener, at which time it was found to be endowed to the amount of £16,077.11 shillings eightpence of the money of the present day. Amongst other, many other great men produced by this abbey of Malmesbury was that famous scholar and historian, William de Monsbury. There is a market cross in this town, the sight of which is worth a journey of hundreds of miles. Time with his scythe and enlightened Protestant piety, with its pickaxes and crowbars, these united have done much to efface the beauties of this monument of ancient skill and taste and proof of ancient wealth. 
But in spite of all their destructive efforts, this cross still remains the most beautiful thing, though possibly and even probably nearly or quite a thousand years old. There is a market cross lately erected at Devizes, and intended to imitate the ancient ones. Compare that with this, and then you have pretty fairly a view of the difference between us and our forefathers of the Dark Ages. To-morrow I start for Bollitree near Ross, Herefordshire, my road being across the county, and through the city of Gloucester. End of chapter 23